John is the CEO of Identity. John, I understand you, you've uh, a very recent appointment in the role of, uh, of CEO, is that correct? That's correct. I joined uh, Nick and the team at Identity at the start of the year um, to uh, help a transition an executive and board leadership change, and he yeah, was appointed in mid-March. Right, what an interesting time um, to uh, start a new role. <laughs> um, now, Identity is a fintech company which was uh, listed in October 2018, and they've got the technology to replace manual processes on reporting of financial transactions, uh, which enhance data integrity while reducing financial crimes and is a more efficient process. Having some understanding of this part of the market, I imagine it's highly a valuable but very difficult kind of technology to integrate into these businesses. Uh, so I really look forward to, to hearing you hearing the presentation and, and I'll, I'll hand the reins to you now. Thanks, John. Sure, sure. Thanks, Patrick. If you just go back one slide, um, just thanks, mate. You, you're right. You've touched on probably our two value levers, um, complexity and value. Um, but let me get into those. So hi, as Patrick said, my name is John Raymond. I'm the CEO for Identity, and our ASX code is ID8. And over the next 15 minutes, um, I'll take you through a very quick intro to our company, the problem that we solve, um, how we solve the problem, and, and importantly, where, um, how we generate revenue, our plans to scale, um, and why I think it's a, a good investment opportunity. And I'll also make a, a brief note on our market cap trajectory since we've been a listed business. So staying on this slide for a second and then we'll move forward. Identity is a, a young Australian fintech business started by our co-founder and current non-exec director Nick Armstrong, headquartered in Sydney, and we have customers and staff in Australia and Hong Kong and prospects in Asia, Europe and the United Kingdom. And we're on a mission to build a global network for financial information using existing systems. So if you flick to the next page, let me explain why. Identity solves the problem that the information required to process and report financial transactions, um, as it says on the slides, is often incomplete, inaccurate, or in some cases even missing. And it's a significant problem and its impact to society is immense and it's getting bigger. And again, as it says on the slide there, and I won't spend too much time on it, the the way we'll solve the problem is by creating a global network for financial information, again, using existing systems. So today, this problem causes payments to be held up, which means money doesn't get to where it needs to fast enough to keep commerce moving. It causes more and more fines to be issued by government regulators at a cost, which isn't just a financial cost, but it's ultimately paid for by consumers. And we've seen that recently in Australia with Commonwealth Bank and, and, and now more recently Westpac. And in extreme cases, it helps facilitate financial crime. Uh, and this is a snapshot of the landscape in which we operate today. And as you can see on the slide, there's increasing financial crime, increasing operating costs, increasing regulatory fines, and an explosion in the amount of data that is, exists in the world. And I think my favourite stat on this slide came from IBM's Watson reporting even as far back as 2017 that said 90% of the world's data is only two years old. And heaven knows what that is today, but one thing's for sure, legacy technology simply cannot keep up with that exponential rate of growth and the exponential growth in customer and regulatory expectations. Um, 
and the problem arises for the majority because for the majority of financial institutions around the world, their technology is decades old and more often than not a collection of hundreds of individual systems that just don't communicate with each other and certainly don't make it easy, if not outright impossible, for institutions to take a single view of all of their transaction level information. Uh, <clears throat> it's an extraordinarily big and complex problem to fix and it's getting harder and harder to solve as each day passes. And on the left you can see why it's difficult um, you know, there's significant costs, there's a, a ton of uh, opportunity for, for data leaks, locked out customers. And on the right, you can see some real world examples of, of that uh, as, as they've come to life. And Mizuho at the top is one of the big four banks in Japan. I've listed that there probably because I lived in Japan and whilst I wasn't directly impacted, I certainly heard plenty of stories from my staff and friends at the time who were, and you can see that you know, they had 620,000 people impacted for, from receiving salaries, 10 billion US dollars held up in payments. And closer to home, you might be familiar with Commonwealth Bank's program to address these problems by replacing their core banking platform, which cost $1.3 billion, which was nearly triple the original estimate. So this is what it looks like today, and I won't spend too much time on this slide, but this is how financial institutions, for the most part, are solving the problem today. And it's a manual process that involves lots of people using the telephone, the email servers, and even the good old fax. And they manually chase and collect missing information. And the bottom right-hand corner, you can see some of the risks that are associated with this. It's error-prone, it's unsecure, there's significant opportunity costs, um, and it can be quite a poor customer experience. And we've created a platform called Overlay Plus, which as the name suggests, sits across the top of banks' entire technology infrastructure, consolidating data from front office, middle office, and back office systems, giving them one single source of truth across all of their transactions. And the benefits to the banks are many, but perhaps the biggest benefit is that our platform, again, as the name suggests, overlays existing technology, which means banks can upgrade the amount of transaction level information that their customers and regulators are requiring, without facing many of the risks that they would face into if they tried to place or update their existing systems. So these are the specific industry problems that we're using Overlay, Overlay Plus to solve today. Again, I won't go into too much detail here. Um, as you can see, that there are three that we're focused on now, um, and then there are two that we're focusing on next. Um, the firstly, the first again, very briefly. Firstly, we're helping a bank, a global bank here in Australia, consolidate transaction information from more than a dozen internal technology systems to give them a single view of their customers, and then make sure they're reporting to Austrac correctly. Um, and the market opportunity for that is significant. Um, you know, almost every or every financial institution that the, around the world is regulated by some sort of entity and has regulation re reporting requirements. Uh, the second problem there that, that's called FX settlement is we're helping a global bank in Asia solve the problem that more than 10% of their FX trades end up being manually completed after the settlement date by sales and operations people that should be doing sales and operations tasks because there is transaction information missing. Uh, and again, it's a similar market opportunity size. You know, our market opportunity there is mid to large financial institutions around the world that have significant foreign exchange desks. Um, conducting F significant FX business, cross-border FX business. Uh, and the third uh, solution, the third, back, back to slide, Patrick, thanks. And the, the third problem that we're solving today is that we're helping a, a European bank in Asia solve the problem that it's taking them months and months to open corporate bank accounts because the data that's being collected on the ultimate account owners or the directors of the companies is still being manually collected often through their branch network. 
Um, and as we think about the future for identity um, over the horizon, we're helping on the in the fourth instance when it comes to the ISO, um, what we call ISO, what the industry calls ISO 20002, um, is that we're helping 11,000 banks around the world who are on the SWIFT network, which is the network that enables financial institutions around the world to send and receive financial information, financial transaction information. We're helping them um, go through the mandated program of change to increase the amount of data that is present with a transaction. And fifthly, um, and very briefly, we're helping solve the global problem that more and more banks, particularly in Africa and Eastern Europe, are being impacted by the de-risking phenomenon, um, which is one by one removing them and their customers from the global banking industry because they don't have the technology to provide the increasing amounts of data that the world wants to see about the companies and the individuals and the transactions that are in these perceived high-risk jurisdictions. Just before I move on to this slide, it's, it's worth noting that um, as I said in the opening, I just want to quickly reference the trajectory of our market cap since we've listed for those of you that have our charts open or have been looking at ID8 before today's webinar. The company spent the last 18 months investing heavily in R&D and building a core platform from which we deploy individual products and modules, and we can see five of them here on the page. Um, and with our recent and boarded executive changes that includes our recent capital raise, we're now pivoting firmly towards a sales organisation that is focused on taking what we've built that we know solves genuine problems for a significant market size and selling them. So what's our long-term vision? And again, I won't, I won't spend too much time on this as I want to keep going through the agenda. But our, the global banking system is managing the problem that I talked about before um, and protecting itself from increasing regulatory scrutiny by de-risking, which means less bank accounts, more payment hold-ups, and fewer formal relationships between banks across borders, which means more and more people risk becoming unbanked, or even worse, become risk becoming where they can only afford or justify a bank account and therefore paying through the nose for it. And this trend isn't happening because financial institutions are bad. It's happening because the risk of getting the problems wrong is immense and the risk of trying to fix the problems that cause it are equally immense. So our big vision is to help thousands of financial institutions around the world solve these problems quickly, easily and relatively risk-free and then join them all together to create a globally connected ecosystem for rich transaction level information and reduce payment hold-ups, reduce financial crime, reduce regulatory crimes and even start to reverse the de-risking phenomenon and see more than a billion unbanked people around the world get access to bank accounts and benefit from the financial services industry. So how do we generate revenue? Um, we, I mean, we're a software business and we deploy, in, we deploy technology um, for banks to solve problems and we generate a mixture of delivery, recurring and uncapped revenue. Uh, when we deploy the Overlay Plus platform into a bank. Um, from a delivery perspective, we, we generate professional services charges which are cover the cost of extensive programs to deliver our technology. Um, from a recurring perspective, uh, we're in the market with um, proposing three to five year contracts with our financial institution partners and opportunities, um, looking, to, looking at about 450,000 Australian dollars annually. Um, a component of which is therefore an uncapped transaction fee depending on the problem we're solving. So we might charge um, 10, 15 or 20 cents for a bank that's sending one or two million reports to a regulator each year, or we might charge $5 for a transaction for a, a, another financial institution that's having um, high value payments blocked up or um, unmatched at the end of every month. 
So how big is the opportunity for us? Um, and you can see across the bottom axis there that's the journey for us from five customers to 20 customers and out to 400 customers. And what I've shown here is that we generate revenue in three different ways. We have a base license, a module license, and then an uncapped transaction fee. Um, and you know, we, I've mapped that yellow uncapped transaction fee to be the same as our module license, but um, in effect, we would expect that to grow or outgrow both the module license and the base license. Um, it's worth noting that at 400, if you should go back one slide, it's worth noting that at, at 400 customers, um, we are a $100 million revenue annual recurring revenue business. Um, and that will pro probably come from a mix of, uh, and I'll show you how we get to there just at the slide next. So we'll, we will acquire customers in two ways. Firstly, we will have a, a small emphasis on direct partnerships where we will look for look to solve problems with banks on our own. Um, but as we all know, this is a, a long and an arduous journey. Um, but it's one that's important uh, over the next couple of years for our company as we start to engage with our indirect sales channel and start to partnership, start to grow our partnerships out with companies like I've talked about on the right there, um, who will be able to go to market for us and we will be able to scale through our partnership or our indirect channel. So to give you an example of some of those partnerships that we have at the moment on the side, R3 is a enterprise blockchain technology company and they have an ecosystem of 300 companies working together on a distributed application of their quarter blockchain and they provide industry services to financial industries, insurance, healthcare, trade finance and digital assets. Um, and Symphony is a secure chat a company that provides secure team chat, file sharing, and built-in compliance and automation tools. And they have 400 customers, um, a lot of them financial institutions. They have 45,000 users. And of course, the Swift network and, and Microsoft will be well known. Next page, please. Um, the Very quickly, the split between, as I mentioned before, the split between uh, direct and indirect sales. This is how we propose to go to market that we will get um, most of our traction through our indirect channel uh, and that we will continue to see a small uplift uh, in our direct revenue channel. Um, very quickly, this is the, and I won't spend too much time here, I'm conscious of time, but this is how we would propose to get there. So the job that we're doing over the next planning horizon is to sign at the next foot to close the deals that are immediately in front of us, which includes five brand new customer opportunities and to close out some strategic funding opportunities for us. Um, which with together with the strategic funding round will see us through to cash flow positive. Um, we then have the next horizon, the next planning horizon for us, which will be um, the journey out to 20 customers and the way that we will, and which is the, the journey that we need to take in order to get ourselves ready for our indirect and scaled partnership approach. And then our third planning horizon is the journey to 400 customers and the connected ecosystem for financial information sharing. Our marketing strategy, like many, will be around improving our brand awareness and creating in line with our strategic plan, generating direct opportunities and enabling our sales partner channel. Um, and we do have, and again, we can take this as red and move on, but we do. We are conscious that we have competitors in the marketplace, both from an internal perspective um, and from external companies. And we are conscious of COVID-19, and I think COVID-19 has provided, uh, like both of my predecessors on this call, has provided us with some tailwinds where our target institutions or our target customers are having to do more with less and they're being resource constrained and, and looking for faster and more nimble solutions to problems that aren't going away. 
uh, keep going through this. So this is the last slide that I'll talk on. This is just a wrap-up of why I think it's a good idea to, or a good opportunity to invest in the business. We're on a mission, as I said, to create a global network for financial information. We are well-placed to survive and probably benefit from COVID-19. We have a, uh, a Horizon 1, 2, 3, now, next, later strategic plan for the business. Um, we have a Tier 1 global bank that's already in the partnership set, and we have a patent pending in a number of jurisdictions around the world. We have a good pipeline of late-stage deals, and we have a good, strong partnership strategy that's emerging. We're already in business with HSBC, and so there's a second license in flight for that, and there's a lot more opportunity for us globally. And we are experiencing um, significant revenue growth at the moment, and of course, we continue to build out our leadership capability as a team. And I think the last page from us is, uh, just go to the next one for me, Patrick. Uh, the last table, the last page from us is just a quick snapshot of our capital structure. Um, again, a reminder that the ASX code is ID8. Um, we've just been through a rights issue uh, that you may have seen in the media. We have um, a share price today, which I think is about 12 cents, and there's our top 20 on the right-hand side. 72% of our registry is open, owned by our top 20, including our co-founder um, and some Insto funds that have supported us. So there you go. Yeah, John, great presentation. Uh, you covered a bit of territory there. Well done. Um, I'll, I'll we get into some questions. Just one moment. I'm just going to quickly share into the chat uh, that next week we'll be running another session. Uh, we've got a company that will be is IPOing at the moment, uh, a tech business, and I believe a health company joining us. Uh, details of that will be updated on the website in the next 24 hours. However, you can book in now. So you want to book in to get along next week. The, the link in the chat box should do the job for you there. Just click in there. Um, and uh, we will be, um, I think that's all the housekeeping issues that I, that I need to cover there. But um, oh, the other option is type yes into the chat box if you'd like to come along to next week's session. And uh, that will get you, uh, book, we can book you in manually through that process as well. All right. Okay. Now, John, back to you. All right, so um, Leo has asked, when do you expect ID8 to become cash flow positive? <laughs> I think lately that question's come up for all three of us. Um, uh, look, you, cash flow positive for us happens um, when, yeah, cash flow positive happens for us when it's after 20 customers, somewhere around about 18 to 20 customers. Um, and the journey to 18 customers um, is, as I said in the, earlier in the presentation, is uh, will happen over time when we, on, on the basis that we will um, consume the capital that we've got and close out the strategic funding round conversations that we have. So that will be all that we will need to get there. Yeah. Um, there was a COVID question in there, um, and... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll sort of pose it slightly differently. I know you did bring up a slide quickly on it. Has COVID had an impact um, on your ability to, uh, you, has it slowed down your sales funnel or had any impact from that perspective? COVID, um, COVID's, I think COVID's done the business a couple of favours. First of all, um, COVID has, um, we were we were always at the beginning of the year. We were always going to run um, a fine tooth comb over our costs um, and put a significant cost control framework into the business to further extend our runway. Um, and you'll see that in the next four C. And I think COVID has probably made that a little bit easier for us um, to you know to go after some of the more 
aspirational cost out. Um, but from a customer or a pipeline perspective, I think COVID-19 has probably increased the number of conversations we're having with our target market set because, um, you know, our target markets always wrestle with this, do we build this solution ourselves or do we buy it? And I think what we're seeing is that COVID-19 is forcing some of these institutions to have to buy because the problem's not going anywhere, but their resources to solve the problem are being allocated elsewhere. 